welcome to the Dignity of Women, where we dig deep into the vocation and dignity of women in the church, in modern times, and as an answer to the call for a new evangelization. I'm your host, Kimberly Cook. I am blessed and honored to be at the home of Alice and the late Dietrich von Hildebrand. Both have contributed so much to Catholic philosophy and theology. Alice von Hildebrand is a personal hero to me for her work on the true meaning of femininity. Alice Jourdain von Hildebrand was born in Belgium on March 11, 1923. She arrived in New York City in 1940 as a war refugee. Soon afterwards, she met Dietrich von Hildebrand and began philosophy studies at Fordham University. The two were married in 1959 and collaborated on writing many books. Starting in 1947, Alice began teaching at Hunter College in New York City. After enduring 14 years of hardships from the college on account of her sex, she was appointed Professor of Philosophy, where she served for 37 years. In addition to her many years at Hunter College, she has also taught at the Catechetical Institute in Dunwoody, New York, Franciscan University of Steubenville, the Thomas More Institute in Rome, Ave Maria College, and at the Notre Dame Graduate School of Christendom College. Dr. Von Hildebrand is the author of numerous books, including The Privilege of Being a Woman, Man and Woman, A Divine Invention, By Love Refined, By Grief Refined, The Soul of a Lion, as well as numerous published philosophical papers. Alice Von Hildebrand could be considered a radical for the traditional, the truth, and the faith. Her authentic look at womanhood as an intentional and crowning design of creation challenges both those who see women as the lesser sex and those feminists who seek to abandon or exploit the riches of their own sex. Joining us today is Father Matthew McDonald from the Archdiocese of New York. What I wanted to ask you is, what is the main thing that women have gotten wrong in our society? particularly regarding femininity because they have listened to the devil saying you know to be a woman is to be inferior to be a woman is to be a means of pleasure for men but they are not respected and understood for what they were and I simply say if you read the Bible on your knees because it's only on our knees that we can understand it. Eve was created last. Right. And you will notice that there is a hierarchy. You know, there's inanimate matter, manimate matter, lower animals, higher animal matter, and then comes a woman. She is created last. And what is something that when Adam saw her, he was created. He was put to sleep, and he did not see how Eve was taken from his body, and then he woke up and saw her. His response was enchantment. Enchantment. Flesh of my flesh. You know, I mean to say, I know that she has the very same dignity. Now, the love between them was something that the devil could not stand because love is the Satan is hatred, and Christian life is love. And so he tried to do, to pervert his view, and to look at her as a means of pleasure. 
and not as a person of equal dignity, was a sort of very special dignity. I mean, just realize something that I meditated upon almost. The conception of a new human person. The husband embraces his wife and injects in her body a substance capable when united to her egg to produce life. And this is what happens, a mystery. You see, therefore, a woman, when her husband embraces her, should conscious of the fact that this is a sacred, mysterious land. And then this travels to her body, and then when meets the egg, there is a new human person. But it's not yet a person. It is simply a substance that God gives it a soul. The soul comes not from the husband, it comes from God. And he puts this soul in the fecundated egg. Now, therefore, in this very moment, meditate on this. There is an immediate contact between God and the female body. The husband is out of the picture. He has done his role, but there comes God touches the female fecundated egg. And in this moment, there is a new human person. Therefore, please insist upon it. The dignity of the female that God, so to speak, has a direct contact with her body. This is why the woman should be veiled. Why is it that women are called upon to be veiled, which is not true in the same way of males? Why? Because whatever is sacred called for veiling. And this is something that the devil has. You know, the shamelessness of women today should make the devil rejoice and should make Christ cry. Because no more consciousness of the fact, my body is a place where God is conceived. Right. You see, definitely, my husband was perfectly right when he wrote, uh, shortly after his conversion, reverence is the key of all virtues. I repeat, I never forget when I was four years old, and my father, my dear, dear father, who was a Gilly communicant his whole life long, the two main men in my life were daily communicant. My father, his whole life long, my husband, immediately after his conversion, daily communicant. And you see, the conscious of the fact, I was so impressed by his reverence at Mass. And I understood reverence is crucial. There are things that are secret and that we must respond. And this is a thing that the devil has tried to destroy. Because I have no illusion, woman has a key role in redemption. She has a key role in the sacrament. That she is veiled is not a sign of indignity, it is an honor. And today, the feminists are going to say, you are veiled because there's something shameful. No, we veil what is sacred. Right. So, 
Is feminism a rejection of yourself as a woman? No, it is a systematic rejection or refusal to understand what is a woman's mission. She doesn't want it. You know, we can consider to be a male is an honor to be a female. Is do not understanding that to give, to conceive and to give birth to a child is something infinitely more important. Right. You know, don't forget all accomplishments of men will be destroyed at the end of time. Everything will be burned. But every woman was given birth to a child into eternity. And therefore today, in my feeling, what is most important is for women to rediscover the beauty and greatness of their mission. Now, I'm proud to be a woman. I have not chosen it, but I'm proud to be it. And beg God every day, make, give me the grace to live up to my dignity as a woman. That's beautiful. And I know Edith Stein inspired Pope John Paul II yes. in a lot of ways. One was speaking about a new feminism, which fosters in a culture that respects and supports life. What do you think about those words? It, is it really a feminism? You know, I prefer to use the word femininity. Mm -hmm. Because for me, in my terminology, feminism is a sort of uh, rejection of the dignity of women as women. I mean to say they must be like men, they must be heads of state. I mean, you see, I recall my despair the first day that I was told that women were becoming soldiers. Mm -hmm. I mean, their mission is to give life and to become soldiers and then to see shooting. I mean, it's abominable. The devil keep in mind, the devil hates women mm -hmm. because they have such a key role. Mm -hmm. You know, and the older I am, I always love being a girl. And, you know, one of the reasons was definitely my beloved father's respect for his wife. Mm. I, was, I was so struck by it, respect the way that he addressed her. Mm. Mm. Is modern feminism, with its mm. tendency to impose a domination over men and over themselves, not having that interior reverence for the beauty of being a woman. You know, I'm absolutely convinced that because women are given a key role, I mean, don't forget, the most perfect human being is a woman. Yes, I mean, this Our Lady. Is a, the most perfect human person is a woman, namely Mary. Mm -hmm. Mary, and I mean, from this point of view, it is quite understandable that uh, what the devil tries to do, and this has been done uh, from close to a hundred years, to try to convince women that their role is in fear and their cooks, their servants. And I mean, this is what has happened. And now we live in a world where women are more and more dominant and less and less Christian. I recall Cardinal Burke was here 
field a long time ago and was sitting in that chair. And when he's leaving, he said, we are living in apocalyptic time. That is a time of utter confusion. And I feel it very strongly, that applies to you, that women have a mission to lift their, their role as mother. Even you take nuns, they are not mother, and yet they are mother. They are truly the true mother, because to be a lover is to be totally self-giving and to say, I am the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me, done to me. In other words, to receive, to accept, to be fecundated. That is the greatness of a woman's role. Mm. I love these words, be it done to me. So that is woman's sacred mission, right? And how do women live up to their femininity? Prayer. 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 You know, as a matter of fact, today is a great feast of St. Therese of Lisieux, whom I love. She was canonized, I I was three years old when, when she was canonized. And what is a mission to say to God? I am, I am yours, I am yours. Do with me what you will. Already as a little girl, as a little child, she understood that. And so therefore, get up in the morning, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Go to bed and rejoice and understand that to be the servant of God is an honor. Mm-hmm. One of her great quotes is, in the heart of the church, my mother, I shall be loved. And how would you say Christianity and femininity is so intimately linked? Yes. Because of Mary and the role of giving life? You know, I think that a man should thank God for being a man because he's given a very clear mission to protect. A woman should thank God for being a woman because her very special mission is to give life, to collaborate with God. I love it. And the older I am, the more I love being a woman, which doesn't mean to denigrate what manhood is, but simply say, this is what he wanted me to do. This is my mission, right? There's no sense in my looking at someone else's mission. Simply say, what do you want me to do? And give me the grace to give it. You know, St. Augustine wrote, give me what you order, and then order what you will. You know, he wrote this in the fifth century, give me what you command, and then command what you will. Give me the strength to do it, give me the grace to do it, and then I can transcend walls. Mm-hmm. I love these words. Do you know some Latin? I do, a little bit of Latin. Da quod iubes et iube quod vis. Give me what you command, and then command what you will. If you give me the strength, I'd be capable of doing great things. But then the joy of it should be 
without your help, God, I can do nothing. Right. Nothing. We are beggars. And it is an honor to be a beggar and then to go to the feet of Christ and beg them to give us the strength. Without you, I can do nothing. But with your help, I will transcend wars. And I think we don't like weakness in our culture, but you have said that many great female saints have been courageous and strong, but that has not compromised their femininity. You know, you can only become saint in the free work in which God has placed you. What is the sense of my dreaming to be a great missionary in foreign countries? It's nonsense, it's dreaming. Whereas you say, what do you want me to do now? I mean, that was the Holy Virgin. And the handmaids of the Lord, be it done to me. And if your mission is to be a cook in a monastery, and you do so with all your heart and soul, it is a road to sanctity. You know, most of us dream our lives. Imagine if we were someone else and doing something different. No, what God wants me to do, no. How do we know what God wants us to do? By going on your knees and say, show me, Lord, what you want me to do now. And he will always answer. Ask him. What do you think is the biggest message to tell young people today? To try to make them understand the incredible beauty of being a Christian. You know, because when you compare the various cultures, none of them is the dignity the beauty of being a human person has been shown so luminously. It's magnificent. We should get up in the morning thanking God. You know, it seems to me the word, I hope that on my deathbed, one of my last words is going to be, forgive me, O Lord. Thank you. Have mercy on me. You know, we have lynx eyes for the force of others and we are blind towards our own fall, my eyes go outward and see if another person makes a fall. I will see it, but now we have to look inward and then try to see, all of us have to see, forgive me, O Lord, for I am a poor sinner, and rejoice in doing so, and then to kiss his feet. You know, you will notice Mary Magdalene, threw herself at Christ's feet because she trusted in his mercy. Judas realized that he had committed an abominable crime. The moment he realized that he could not heal himself by himself, he hung himself up on a tree. He couldn't do it by himself, he said, but with your help, O Lord, You can do all things. We want to do things by our own. No, I am helpless and miserable, but with his help, I can 
translate words. You are much younger than I am, much, much younger. It might be that you still live for a long time, but in my case, I know with absolute certainty, the week of my candle is every moment. And therefore, you wake up and say, how would you like to die? I say, begging God's forgiveness, forgiving those who have offendedness, and say to God, I love you. Conscious of my own weakness, don't forget there are many things I have committed, and I'm not fully conscious of it because it's not very pleasant to say, it's my fault, it's my fault. It's much more pleasant to say, it's your fault, it's your fault. From this point of view, I can understand the life of the literates, of the child Jesus, which is a feast today, is this holy simplicity of a child saying to God, this is what I am without your help, but with your help, I can transcend more. I love her, as I said, I was three years old when she was canonized. What's funny about Therese is that she embraces weakness, littleness, all of the faults that she has. She constantly talks about those without trying to hide them. Yeah. She's not afraid to be weak and little. Yeah, and everybody loves her. Well, we are, without God, we are weak and miserable. But I repeat, we have to keep saying, with your help, I will translate, with your help, never alone. And in our society, you will notice how many people pray themselves, I did this all by myself. Mm -hmm. I needed someone, no one else's help. You see, don't forget the two trump cards of the devil is to encourage our praise and to awaken our concupiscence. These are the two big trumps, pride and concupiscence. Father, you have heard innumerable uh, confessions in your life. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely convinced that one sin that you often hear is the one of impurity. Absolutely. You know, I recall I was in France for Holy Week and uh, I went to confession and, you know, told the priest what I thought, all my weaknesses and sins. And then he was silent. And I said, Father, uh, I have completed my confession. And he said, uh, are you quite sure that you have not committed a sin of impurity? Are you sure that, you, you know, I was, I was at the time, I don't know, 75 or so, meaning to say that he heard it so often that when someone did not mention this particular sin, you know, because I, of my age or my grace, whatever it might be, he said, are you sure? You have not committed the sin. It's so easy for the devil to make a sin. Absolutely. Easy. Through the sin of impurity, obviously it's not of God, but God allows it sometimes to teach us how to be humble and how to surrender. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes people 
with a lot of natural virtue, God allows them to fall into sin of impurity to kind of teach them humility, kind of like what St. Paul went through with the thorn in the flesh. And he asks God to take that away. And God says to him, my grace is My sufficient. Grace is sufficient. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. I, I do think a lot of people, when they come to the confessional, they often confess feelings. Mm-hmm. And I say to them, the feeling is not where, where the sin is. Yeah. It's what you do with the feelings that can be the sin. The action. <laughs> yeah. With your will. Yeah. Right. And something that I also encourage people to do when they struggle with impurity, and obviously this is not a magic bullet, I encourage them to turn to Christ on the cross and ask him to purify their hearts. I also encourage them, particularly men, when they see a woman who's physically attractive, to thank God for that woman's beauty, Mm -hmm. but to pray for that woman that she may be blessed by the Lord, she may be faithful, happy, and holy in this mm-hmm. life, and have eternal life in the life of the world to come. That's beautiful. We live in a society, the modern world, in which, in whatever situation we find ourselves, the devil manages to tempt us. When I was a child, I don't recall ever seeing a pornographic magazine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Never. Yeah. No, it's all over. Yeah. And you not know. only men, but women are really struggling now with visual pornography. Yeah, yes. which did not exist mm-hmm. before. Yeah. And if I simply see the devil never sleeps and knows, and once women are impure, men are lost. It's so easy for them Mm -hmm. to catch a man to temptation. Absolutely. And children as young as five years old are falling into pornography use. I was totally and absolutely protected as a child. I did not know that certain things existed. Mm. And I begged God, you know, for my ingratitude, not having thanked him. My father was very extraordinary man, mm. a daily communicant his whole life long. And when he took me to church, his reverence was such that I knew when I was four years old, this is, is a sacred place. How can we teach our children that it's a sacred place? By living it, you see, this is what my father taught me. From the time I was four, he took me to church on Sunday. And when he entered church, you know, his reverence, he taught it to me, not by preaching. He was not a preacher, by being reverent. And believe me today, what the devil is trying to you is to totally eliminate reverence. Absolutely. Some of that is just, there is a culture of use that has been fostered, and that's an effect of concupiscence that we tend to use things rather than love things. And people confuse often use for love. And we see that not only within human sexuality and in the culture, but also we see that within the life of worship sometimes. People can approach the Mass like Thomas approached our Lord after the resurrections. And just as he said, 
unless I touch his the, the wounds in his yeah. hands, yeah. his feet inside, I will not believe. So today, the temptation, particularly within worship and the liturgy, is to say, unless I know everything that's going on, and I feel something, and I'm doing something, I'm really not praying. And people don't know how to receive, to receive, and from that reception of the Lord, yeah. to return that gift of, of the Lord given to them in Holy Communion, the precious body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, back to, back to the Lord in their own hearts yeah. through their love. They want to have a feeling, they want to have total knowledge, um, and maybe even entertainment, I find. Yeah. Yeah. I think Our Lady is the example of how to pray the Mass. Yes. Not only at the stable in Bethlehem, but also at the foot of the cross. She entered into the mystery with her entire being. You know, like she said in the Magnificat, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And that Magnificat was echoed by her cooperation with grace in every moment of her life. And even though she was experiencing and feeling different things, her immaculate heart constantly echoed that Magnificat at every moment, even in, in the depths of sorrow. But nonetheless, through that, she shows us how to pray. She shows us how to receive the word of God and to live it out, to let it bear fruit in our hearts and in our lives through her own motherhood. Cardinal Sarah in his book, The Power of Silence, he speaks about the loss of silence. There's a lot of noise in our world today. And that noise isn't always audio noise. It's often just going about and being blind to the presence of God, mm -hmm. to the mystery of his love and grace, the mystery of the presence of Jesus to mean grace through the grace of the Holy Spirit in the present moment, in the ordinary, ordinary experiences of my life with people, events, and things. But once you tap into that, it changes you. Another thing that strikes me is that we live in a world where war is waged against silence. Yes. When 90% of Americans come home, what is the first thing that they do? Turn on TV. the TV. TV. I have no more TV. Mm. Not that I watched it so much, you know, noise, because they dread to be silent. Mm. Because the moment you're silent, you discover your poverty and your misery. Mm. And that's what they dread. They blind themselves. Mm. And it's often said that God allows blindness from our sin. He allows us to give in to that blindness. Yeah. But you know, I keep repeating to myself, the forces of hell shall not prevail. But I do believe we are living in an apocalyptic time, a time of confusion and conflict. You know, it is said, we are living in a time of confusion such as even the elect. Yes. And I beg God, I beg God to take me soon before I get myself be confused. One prayer 
that I love is just suffer me not to be separated from you. you. Yes. Over and over Nunca again. Nunca a ti separari permitas. Nunca a ti separari permitas. You know, why is it that in monastery, seven times a day, they interrupt whatever they are doing and then say, God, come to my help because of the law of spiritual gravity. We start here, and if we are not conscious, we have it. The noonday devil. Yeah. But nevertheless, with God's grace, I will transcend walls. I'm convinced of it. Come to my help. You know, that is the blessing of being old, that you are so conscious that every moment brings you closer to your coffin, that you spontaneously keep praying, come to my help, O oh Lord, come to my help. Give me not only a good death, I would like to have a holy death. Mm -hmm. My mother had three <laughs> children in 28 months. And it's difficult. People want to tell you that you don't have to live like this, you know? You can find a better way than living the burdens of motherhood. Yeah. The holy burden of motherhood. Of course it right. is. This book is an amazing book. In so far as it shows that God took me from, you know, my going to the feast and then brought me in the lion's den. I was close to my PhD. I had left my very rich aunt and I had nothing. So I needed a job desperately. Mm. And I go to confession and the priest after confession talked to me and said, what are you doing? And I said, Father, uh, I'm desperately looking for a job. I need one. And I said, I'm close to my PhD in philosophy and I've been applying on all Catholic colleges. All of them turned me down, even though I had a very good curriculum vitae, because we don't take women to teach philosophy. Wow. And then came the feminist revenge. Yes, and times now, have changed. Yeah. And now it's difficult for men to yes, find a job. that's Absolutely. right. This is what Absolutely. is happening. That's so, right. And then, you know, and then he said, well, I happened to have met at a conference uh, the head of the Department of Philosophy at Hunter College. And uh, he gave him a phone call and he said, you know, I happen to know a young girl. I think that she's very talented and she's looking for a job. He said, just an hour ago, one of my professors told me that he needed to have an urgent operation we need someone to start teaching on Monday. That was on Friday. Wow. Praise God. And I had never taught in my life. I had only been in the United States for seven years and have spoken French most of the time. And I entered the classroom training. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, when I left at 12, I said, tomorrow I'm going to find a pink slip in my box. Mm. And I bent into the chairman of the department who says, oh, you, by the way, 
the girls liked you very much. You know, Hunter was all female at the time. But your time was very challenging there. They paid you very incredible, little. Incredible. Right. You, you know, I was a nobody. I had written very little. But two of my colleagues, whom I hardly knew, imagined I had been there for two or three months. They went to President Schuster and saying, this girl is not made to teach at a secular university. She'd be teaching in a small Catholic college in the Midwest. Wow. I went to Schuster, who gave me a private telephone call. I know exactly the time because I was living in a very, very miserable room. And he called me and he said, I have good news for you. I found a very good position for you in the Midwest. And I idiot said, Mr. President, I'm not interested in it. I truly have a feeling that I have, you know, my students are so responsive. Mm. I think that I have a truly a mission to be teaching in mm. a secular college. That was the worst thing that I could possibly have said. Mm. For 14 years, it kept me in suspense. I was paid per hour. I had no medical coverage, you know. Wow. After 14 years, 14, I finally got my tenure. And then I bumped into someone who was on the board of higher education at a conference. And he said to me, oh, by the way, uh, congratulations, you got your tenure. And he said to me, I'm, I'm repeating, this is a quote, a quote. Do you believe in miracles? He was a Roman Catholic. And I said, yes. He said, I assure you that you got your tenure was nothing short of a miracle because three top-notch rabbis in New York went to the Board of Higher Education to protest. Why? Because I was attracting students. That when I left Hunter, I took an early retirement because I had been given the schedule of teaching until 10 p.m. And for years and years and years and years, I came home at 11. And there was a time and I said, it's getting to be too much. And on top of it, I wanted to dedicate myself to my husband's work. So at 60, I took an early with the lowest possible pension. But I live like a nun. You know, I have no needs, I don't need anything. You know, it's not what you earn, it is what you spend. So with the respect they had for your husband, they still did not give you that kind of respect? They had no respect for my husband. You know, someone who writes transformation in Christ is not the sort of person appreciated at Hunter College. They precisely for me, this is why I purposely kept my maiden name. Mm. I kept my maiden name because to have the name for Lillebrand was for me a very negative factor. I hid it. Wow. Mm. He was considered to be a danger. Mm. Every word is true. You know, I was a nobody. Mm -hmm. I repeat, a nobody. I had not been there for eight months that they started to persecute me. 
and my classes were packed. Mm. I was giving them food and they were mm. starving. You know, Chesterton says the real criminals are intellectuals mm -hmm. because everything is relative. It's all up to you. If you want certainty, turn to science. In science you have certainty, but apart from that, it's all up for you. This is why we live in a decadent society. My life is nothing short of a miracle, and I mean, had I written it, I say, a female Habakkuk. Mm. Just go into the fields to bid food to the workers, and then the angels, and brings me the lion's den. What I, I said to myself, but my God, I'm the last person with my Catholic background, and then I ended up competing against 600 professors. I got the award for excellence in teaching. You wow. will see. Wow. God has used you in a very powerful way. You have touched many women. Anyone in her? No, I have not. God um, put me in the lion's den and gave me the strength. That's all. My life has been nothing short of a miracle. And had you told me when I was a child in Belgium that I'd be teaching in a foreign university, I would have said you are mad. <laughs> <laughs> Every word is true. A book that you wrote on Pope Paul VI that wasn't published about you and your husband's interactions. I'd be very interested in, in talking to you more about that. He has all for the papacy. And his awe for the papacy was such that even though he had some reservations about individual decision of Paul VI, he never lose sight of the beauty of yeah. the papacy. Yeah. When he came to Umane Vitae, because mm. all of a sudden he was very strong and very courageous. Mm. That was divinely inspired, it seems. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. And now we see the effects of contraception. Yes. Now in our culture, it's rampant. No, it's neither question whether it is immoral. It's absolutely taken for granted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now it's, it's the doorway into greater evils. And my brother was born in January. My sister was born in January, one year later, and I was born in March, uh, two years later. So my mother had uh, three children in 26 months. Wow. I was number three. And many saints were the youngest children no, of many. Yes. yes, of many. Yeah. No, because in our society, the purpose of life is self fulfillment mm. not to serve God yeah. but self-fulfillment dear father you do not know the gift that your visit is for me it is so kind sure. that I call Christian charity sure thank you thank so you, much amazing. your words have meant so much to me through the years on femininity